I feel like a uh, backup quarterback. You know, once the game is locked up and secured and there's no possible way of losing, the starting quarterback goes to the sideline and takes his helmet off and his, he, he relaxes, puts his ball cap on, and then the, the uh, uh, backup runs out there and does his job. So um, I'm, just, I'm just amazed he keeps asking me. You know, every time I preach, I figure, well, after he listens to that service, uh, I won't be asked again, but I do appreciate. And I want you to, I want you to realize how much I counted a privilege to be able to stand in this desk, in this place, realizing the gravity of the job of preaching the Word of God. And uh, so I appreciate the pastor's confidence and trust in me, and I appreciate you who keep coming back and keep listening to me, even when you know it's going to happen because you read the bulletin and you found you, you knew what was going to happen and you're here anyway. I appreciate that. All right, so let's all take our Bibles out tonight. And uh, if you would, open them to Joshua chapter 14. I'm pretty sure from my sermon title, you've already figured out who I'm going to preach about. Uh, anybody not figure it out yet? Anyone who just won't admit they had not figured it out yet? Uh, Joshua chapter 14. When you found that, Joshua chapter 14, put a marker there and uh, find Numbers chapter 13 and mark that. We're going to go to Numbers chapter 13 in just a moment. But if you'll stand with me now as we read from Joshua chapter 14... And I'll begin reading at verse number 6, if you'll read silently along with me. Joshua chapter 14, beginning at verse number 6. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee, Ishbornea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me, uh, as my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him, and gave unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Hebron, for an inheritance." Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise your holy name. Lord, we thank you for the grace you've bestowed unto us. We didn't deserve it, we didn't merit it, but you freely loved us and gave us this great gift. And now, Father, as we gather around your word tonight, Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would instruct us and that you would encourage us, that you would convict us and motivate us to walk worthy of our Heavenly Father. 
Thank you for these people that have come out tonight. And I pray now that you would speak to our hearts and minds. And we thank you for this. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Look with me now, if you would, at Numbers chapter 13. And here in Numbers chapter 13, I'll, I'll read it verse, beginning at verse 1. We read, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I gave unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. And we see here from the story in Numbers chapter 13, 12 men left the camp of Israel and went into the land of Canaan, the promised land. Their purpose was to spy out the land and its inhabitants. Now 10 of these men went and looked upon the land, and returned with an evil and discouraging report. They said that the inhabitants of the land were giants, that they were too strong for the armies of Israel to defeat. They said that the cities were walled and too well fortified for Israel's armies to conquer. These ten These ten spies epitomize the naysayer segment of our churches today. They are the cannot Christians. These are content to keep things just the way they are. They are content, as it were, to wander in the wilderness. They are content to avoid the conflicts associated with possessing the promises of God. But two of these spies, two of these 12 men, saw something completely different from the other 10. They went into the, the land, they saw the same, the same walled cities, they, say, they saw the same giants, but did not see them as unconquerable. They did not see them as undefeatable. They looked beyond the obstacles and saw the goodness of the land. They did not have a cannot attitude. These two spies did not consider what they, in the power of their own flesh, could do to possess the land. In fact, these two men looked through eyes of faith. They looked beyond the obstacles and they saw what God could do. They saw what God would do, in fact, according to his promises. See, in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9, we read, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. And in Joshua chapter 1, we, we see a time when the children of Israel were were, were, were concerned and, and were, were disheartened because Moses, the servant of God, has died. But God reminds the people that it wasn't Moses that freed them. It wasn't Moses that parted the Red Sea. It wasn't Moses that brought them to where they are. It was God himself. And he commands them to be, 
to be strong and to be of good courage and not to fear, for the Lord is always with us. These two men knew that God had promised this land unto them and their children. And they realized that no wall, that no giant, or no army could keep them from possessing the land that God had given to them. Now this brings me to where we are tonight. The naysayers, those are the cannot Christians, are not usually not those that attend church on Sunday night. So I know that I am talking tonight to a congregation of can-do Christians. I realize I'm tonight, I'm addressing a group of people that say, yes, we can. And let me just share a few things with you real quickly tonight. Yes, we can. We can live holy lives in the face of a wicked world tonight. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in verses 13 through 16, Peter writes, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And we can live holy lives tonight, despite the condition of our world around us. I can be holy, but only because God is holy. It is not guardrails or standards or rules that will keep us from sin. It is God that has given me the power to conquer sin. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, we read, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Secondly, let me say that we can raise spiritual children in the midst of an adulterous generation. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7, Moses writes, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And let me just interject here, that's one of the problems with so many Christians today is they don't love the Lord thy God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, and with all of their might. They love the Lord, but they want to reserve portions of their life so that they can hang on to the things of the world. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, And when thy risest up. Oh yes, we can raise spiritual children if we will teach them God's word. And can I give you just a free thought tonight? Anytime there is preaching from the word of God in this pulpit, your children ought to be sitting in those pews. There's nothing on the face of the earth taking place more important than to have your children sitting under the preaching of the Word of God, because it is the preaching of the Word of God that affects the heart of men. 
And if you avail your children to anything when there is preaching from this Bible, you may think you're doing them service, but let me tell you, you're doing them harm. We can raise spiritual children if we will teach them God's Word. But more than just teach them God's Word, teach them God's Word in truth and in power, staying true and faithful to doctrinal truth. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all longsuffering and doctrine. Pastor, this morning, said, don't get mad at him for preaching about hell. We're not going to get mad at you for preaching about hell, Pastor. Uh, You're supposed to be doing that. You're supposed to be reproving, rebuking, and exhorting with all longsuffering when you preach the word of God. And let me say also, we can, we can accomplish the work of the ministry despite the depravity of the world around us tonight. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, Paul writes, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Christ, through his example, showed us that we can accomplish all that God has given us to do. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And we see that Christ was able to complete in his, in his state as a human all the things that God had given him to do, and so can we. Paul also demonstrates that we can do God's will and work in this dark world. For in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 6 and 7, he writes, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. We can. We can. Yes, we can. And I feel sorry tonight for those ten spies. You see, because they needed the things that can be seen and felt with their eyes before they would enter into the promised land. But Joshua and Caleb didn't need all those things. Joshua and Caleb only needed one thing, and that was God. And this brings me to the point of my message tonight. Look with me again at Joshua chapter 14. And let's look once again at verse number 12. Here we read, Now therefore give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. Tonight all of you who are can-do Christians, 
I want to make three observations from the life of Caleb that I think can help you and I tonight to be those can-do believers. The first thing I want to observe from Caleb is this. Caleb was elected to serve. Number one, Caleb was elected to serve. In Joshua chapter 14, again in verses 6 and 7, we read, Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, now look at these words, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land. Now, there isn't a whole lot told us about the life of Caleb. Therefore, we we have to be careful here about reading anything into his life. We do not have evidence that Caleb was a mighty man. We, We don't have any evidence at all that Caleb was a big man of great stature. We don't, we don't have any evidence at all that he was a very prominent man or, 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 or a, a man of great importance. The only thing the Bible tells us is that he was a ruler of his tribe. So we do not have any evidence. We are told nothing of him before this calling. Yet chosen he was, selected out of all the people in his tribe. Now for me to assume that Caleb deserved to be chosen... For me to assume that he earned the right to be chosen from the information I'm given would be a typical assumption associated with human nature. My human nature would cause me to say, well, Caleb must have been some kind of guy. Obviously, he was a really great guy because Moses chose him. Yet I cannot make that assumption, for the scriptures do not support this. And let me just remind you that such it is with you and I tonight. As we sit here tonight with the knowledge that we are saved, that God has chosen us from the generations of men, it would be foolish for you and I to become proud and assume that God chose us because we deserved it or because we merited it somehow. And it would be equally presumptuous and foolish for us to assume that there was something in us that caused us to choose God. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, we read, For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. In Romans 5, 8, we read, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now we know tonight, and we understand, that none of us could be good in the sight of God, and there is nothing but evil in our flesh, and in our heart. We understand this. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Again, in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, Paul writes, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. And if that weren't enough, in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, we read, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination, not most, not some, but every imagination of the thoughts of his heart 
was only evil continually. So tonight, as you and I sit here, called and saved children of God, we can stand on nothing but the fact that God chose us, called us, and saved us. Oh yes, just like Caleb, we have been elected to serve. We have been chosen by God, and we have been sent to serve. Now it is important for us to understand that God has called us to serve him. He has not called us to be served by him. That's one of the biggest problems with Christianity today is everybody's sitting around waiting for what, to see what the Lord's going to do for them. Everybody wants to be served by God. Whatever happened to serving the Lord? Whatever happened to making a commitment to the Lord and investing your life in service to, to, to the Lord? Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Let's all go there together. Mark chapter 10. Now, if we were in chapel, I'd give away a candy bar to whoever could find it first, but we're not in chapel. Jason wants that candy bar anyway. Mark chapter 10. And let's look at verse 42. In in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 42, we read, But Jesus called them to him, and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So we see that God has called us to serve. We must go in and we must conquer the promised land. He will not just hand it over to us. Caleb wanted that mountain. And God had, God had called him and sent him on a mission. And nothing or no one is going to keep him down. I want that mountain. I want that mountain that my Lord has given me. Is that your proclamation tonight? We, just as Caleb tonight, have been elected to serve. But then secondly, I I observe from the life of Caleb, number two, that Caleb was eager to submit. He was eager to submit. In Joshua chapter 14 again, verses 7 and 8, We read, 40 years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. Now, don't miss this. Caleb was eager to get his feet into Canaan. He wanted to get busy and possess the land. In Numbers chapter 13, we were there a few moments ago, in verse 30, uh, after they came back, the spies came back and gave their evil report. In verse 30, we read, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. In other words, Caleb's telling God's people, What are we waiting for? God has given it to us, so let's go get it. Now, I like this attitude. You know, some attitudes are bad, but this is a good attitude. I I like this attitude that Caleb had. 
Oh, God, give us some men, some women, some teens, and some children of faith. People who say, if God be for us, who can be against us? People who say, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. People who, as in Nehemiah's day, held the sword in one hand and a trowel in the other hand, doing the work of rebuilding the city of God. Far too many today are either afraid or just too plain lazy to obey God. Amen? That's that's not a hearty one. (laughs) I like that attitude. Caleb said, "What what, what are we waiting for here? If God's for us, who can be against us? Oh, Christians are walking around America today. My IRA is down 30%. I don't know if I'm going to have a job next week. I'm not sure how I'm going to make my mortgage payment. Oh, I don't know. That's just like those ten spies. Oh, oh I don't know. We, we, can't, we can't conquer that. Those, those, they got walls around their city, guys. What are we going to do? Throw stones at the walls? I mean, you know, they're giants. They're all nine foot tall. We, we can't, we're like grasshoppers in front of their eyes. Uh, not Joshua and Caleb. They said, let's go. Come on, let's go get it. If God's for us, nobody can be against us. What about you tonight? Is it the same God? Is Jehovah still Jehovah? Is it the same God that told Joshua and Caleb, go out there and possess the land? Yes, it is. And President Obama isn't going to bury God, amen? And the Congress and the Senate do not control the government of heaven. And if it be God's will that we suffer a little while in America, so be it. Our forefathers did a lot of suffering. We've we've had it awful soft for a long time. Don't make excuses. In Luke chapter 14, verses 16 through 20, we read, Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife. Now here's the only guy with a legitimate excuse. (laughs) And therefore I cannot come. Don't make excuses. Those ten spies made a lot of excuses as to why Israel could not go in and conquer the land. The truth of the matter is they were afraid. The truth of the matter is they looked through eyes of flesh and not eyes of faith. The truth of the matter is they didn't believe that their God was able to supply all their needs. My grandpa used to tell me that an excuse is simply a reason wrapped up with a lie. Don't make excuses to quit. Make plans to succeed. Don't be a part of the problem. Be a part of the solution. Come to the pastor and say, Pastor, what can I do to help in this place? Listen, friends, what we, when we know what we need to do, don't delay doing it. 
In James 4.17, we read, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Get busy and obey the Lord today. Let us be like Caleb, eager to submit and get the job done. Caleb didn't want to waste those 40 years in the wilderness. He was ready to go in and possess the land by faith. He was prepared to trust the Lord and do what he was called to do. He understood the biblical principle found in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, where Paul states, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So we see that Caleb was elected to serve. He, he was eager to submit. And then my last observation tonight is this. Caleb was expectant of his success. He was expectant of his success. Back again in Joshua chapter 14, verses 9 through 12. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. He's eighty-five years old now. As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me, as my strength was then, even so is my strength now, for war both to go out and to come in. Now therefore give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. Moses made a promise to Caleb. He promised him that he would possess the portion of the land that he had spied out. And this would be because of his faithfulness to God. Caleb believed this, and he expected to receive this inheritance. Imagine what it must have been like for Caleb, watching everyone he knew, 20 years old and older, dying off all around him for 45 years. The day came when it was only Joshua and he left. No others remained. Yet Caleb still didn't give up hope. He lived each day knowing that one day, he would receive that which had been promised to him. Tonight, God give us people of faith again, people who believe the promises of God. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, Peter writes, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And don't miss this. Don't miss this part. I like the method by which Caleb gained this inheritance. In verse 6 of chapter 14, we read, Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. I like the way he went about gaining his inheritance. Caleb came to God's man and submitted himself unto his authority. He didn't just go and set up camp and stake his claim. He had enough faith in God to trust the leader that God had given him. He had enough faith to trust that Joshua would honor the commitment of Moses and give Caleb his inheritance. He was expectant of his success. 
And he knew that he could trust the Lord his God. I grow weary tonight of Christians who want to do their own thing. God deliver us from people who have this attitude that says no one is going to tell me what I can and can't do. Now, God's word is very clear concerning the authority of his under-shepherds. In Hebrews thirteen seventeen, we read, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Caleb claimed his inheritance the right way. And so should we, the children of God. Listen, we shouldn't, we shouldn't do wrong in order to do right. Amen? Let's do things the right way. Let's trust the Lord. Let's be fair and honest and ethical people, moral people, honest on the job, honest in business, faithful, true, and honest with the Lord in our personal walk, having, having a personal righteousness and a personal accountability to, to, to God and the local church. Let us learn tonight to live expectant. Caleb was expectant. He's 85 years old, and he's, he's, he's looking at that mountain, and he's saying, that's, that's, I, the Lord's going to give me that mountain. He's going to give me that mountain. Caleb expected it. And let's learn to live expectant tonight. Let me give you three thoughts, and we're done. First of all, live expectant of the riches that accompany stewardship. In Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Trust God to provide your needs. Stop acting like the world and fretting and worrying over the things that God has already promised to give you. The Lord has already promised to give us the things that we need. The question is, are we good stewards of what God gives us? Or do we waste what the Lord provides for us? Learn to live expectant of the riches that accompany stewardship. Next, learn to live expectant of the rewards of service. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4, 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. Paul expected a reward. You know, it's okay to, to expect rewards for serving the Lord. That's okay. You know, I, I'm, I'm kind of tired of welfare-minded Christians living off the labors and efforts of the other people in the church. Listen, our motto around here is every saint a servant, every member a minister. And that should be your motto too. The, notice the last words that Paul wrote in, in, in verse 8. But unto all them also that love his appearing. Paul said, there's not only a reward for me, but there's a reward for you as well if you'll serve. And and we should live expectant that the Lord will reward us for our service. And then lastly, let us learn to live expectant of the return of our Savior. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 40, we read, But ye therefore, or be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. I'm afraid tonight that the majority of God's people are not looking for his return. You know, the longer that I serve him, 
the more I long for heaven. The older I get, maybe, I don't know, maybe that's a natural tendency. I don't know. Some of you old guys can tell me. I I don't know. But the older I get, it seems like the more I'm looking forward to just being in heaven with the Lord. It reminds me of that song I, I really love. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's golden shore, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I tell you, it's getting harder and harder every day to feel comfortable living in this world. And we should live expectant of the Lord's return. Caleb said, now therefore, give me this mountain. Now, being a Sunday evening and a holiday one at that, I know that everyone here tonight are God's faithful servants. But I still must ask this question. Do you want that mountain tonight? Do you want the mountain that the Lord has given you? Caleb was elected to serve, and serve he did. He was eager to submit. And the Bible tells us that he wholly followed his Lord. He was expectant of his success. And we see that he lived to see God's will done in his life. Now tonight, are you prepared as Caleb was? Are you prepared to trust God to fight for and conquer the enemies that stand between you and your inheritance? Or are you content, as the other ten spies were, to wander in the wilderness until you go the way of all men and go to the grave, never having gained the promises of God nor seen his mighty hand at work? We sing a song, and we sing this every now and then on Wednesday nights. I want that mountain, I want that mountain, where the milk and honey flow and the grapes of Eshkel grow. I want that mountain. I want that mountain, the mountain that my Lord has given me. But the question is, how bad do you want that mountain? Are you ready to go in and take on the enemies and tear down the cities and possess that which God has for you? Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that your people would have been edified tonight. I pray that we would be like your faithful servant, Caleb, that we would would serve and that we would submit and that we would be expectant for all the blessings that we know will come to us. We praise your holy name. Lord, we deserve nothing. And everything you give us is to your glory and honor. And tonight we want to magnify your great name and tell you how much we love you. And Father, we do ask tonight that you would give us that mountain. Put the challenges before us, Lord. Help us in this church, Berean Baptist Church, help us to to fight the enemies and go out and, and claim the land for your glory. Thank you for our church. Thank you for our pastor. Thank you for all the good people that came out tonight. We ask you to bless all these things, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.